Hi, this is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTraining.com and TTMembers.com, and I'm here with Chris Moore, Dr. Chris Moore, Ph.D., who is the author of the Turbulence Training for Fat Loss Nutrition Guide. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Excellent, Craig. How you doing? Good. Really good. Thanks. And uh, thanks to Chris for, you know, obviously putting this nutrition report together and the meal plans and meal plan software that he has at MealPlans101.com if you want more information on that. But we're just going to go through the most common questions that we get on the nutrition guidelines, and we're going to try and clear up everything for you so that you understand exactly the best approach and the simplest approach. Remember, that's what we're trying to aim for here is simplicity in our fat loss approach, simplicity in a healthy approach to eating. So, Chris, let's start by going over uh, the term quality foods. And, you know, you, you discussed we should focus on the quality of food, not the quantity of food. And what are quality foods and what are some foods that people would perceive as quality foods but are actually not as high quality as they think they are? All right. That, that's a great question. And I think, um, and first, but by quality foods, I'd like for people to really focus on foods that are very high um, in nutrients. So not just low fat, not just low carb, but really provide a ton of vitamins, minerals, phytochemicals. So, you know, loading up on fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean proteins, and healthy fat. So it's it's really somewhat simple, um, but people do get confused because they get, I think, too caught up in the either, you know, low-fat or the low-carb mantra, and then they, they find foods, you know, things like rice cakes, um, which have zero fat and pretty much zero nutrients. Or on the other right. extreme, um, something that's real, real low-carb and high-fat, people are doing anything they can to avoid carbs, which aren't actually necessary. Um, so the more nutrients you can get, Per, per food, the better off you'll be. Yeah, rice cakes are always one that I think of because I've known quite a few bodybuilders that uh, even today still eat those things. I mean, they were popular, obviously, about 10 years ago, but people are still eating them today, and I just think that they, can, they aren't as high quality as most people think they are. So um, going on with, uh, you know, learning more about the foods that we eat, <clears throat> why is keeping a food journal a good idea? Um, you know, I think I think it's for the very reason you just said, and that's learning about the foods we do eat. A lot of us do what's called kind of mindless eating, and that's essentially, you know, feeding yourself, not really knowing what's going on, not knowing what you're putting in your body. If you sit down, you know, to watch TV with a bag of chips next to you, you know, next thing you know, after the show is over, the entire bag of chips is gone. So I think keeping a food journal helps with accountability. Um, you're accountable to yourself, or, you know, if you're in, turning it into somebody, accountable to them but it just makes you more aware of what you are putting into your body. Um, so that, that, that's the primary reason. It's definitely an important component of a weight loss program, and there's been a significant amount of research showing that just by doing something as simple as giving somebody a food diary and saying, here, you know, write down everything you put in your body, that alone enhances weight loss. What um, ways do you recommend people doing that? Are there websites, or do you just recommend writing it down on paper? Um, you know, I, there, there are websites, um, things like, you know, fitday.com is definitely a great one. Um, so if that's easier for you, and to be honest, whatever, whatever is easiest for folks and whatever they'll follow and do, um, I, I like the, the actual process of writing something down. But uh, if folks find it much easier if they're in front of a computer all day, something like FitDay might be an easier system because it, uh, it also tracks your calories and everything else. Okay. And then how important is it for people to track their calories then? Because obviously we can – we can eyeball things, and I think that the more educated you are on, on nutrition and stuff, like I can eyeball, if I eyeballed something, I would have a more accurate 
idea of how many calories are in that than maybe the average guy or gal. So how important is it for people to know exactly how many calories are in their their food choices? That's a good point you make. And, you know, people who are more experienced like yourself and others can eyeball and get a a better idea. Um, But even with that said, there's been some data to show that um, they did a study with registered dietitians who, you know, you think understand everything about food or a lot about food, and they still underestimated by around 20 to 30 percent of their calories. Um, So it's, it's very easy to over or underestimate your calorie. Um, do I think you need to count every single gram of food you put in your body? Um, not at all, because like you said at the beginning of the call, um, your goal and the same with mine with clients is simplicity. Um, so, you know, in general, though, it is good to have a good a good assessment of what you are putting in your body. So using things like, um, you know, weighing and measuring once in a while to get to kind of reassess what your eyeball understands as a real serving is important. Do you think it's a good idea maybe then? For especially for beginners to maybe do, go that extra step and do the calorie and the uh, measuring and and to maybe I mean obviously that would give them some education and then also for them to get a real good idea of their baseline calorie intake so it might be better to do it at the start. Yeah, you know I, I do think it is um, especially you know certain foods you know a piece of fruit is easy because you eat the piece of fruit and that's a, a serving um, but typically but something like for example cereal or pasta it's very, very easy to overeat those foods. And things like the size of the bowl or the size of the plate that you're eating off of can, you know, can very easily make you overestimate what an actual portion is because you want to fill up the bowl or the plate, and then all of a sudden you're way over what an actual serving is. Right. Right. Okay, so what's the simplest way of eating for fat loss? Then? Um, you know, I think when i when when eating i I urge you one of the simplest things is kind of divide your plate or bowl into three sections and um, we talk about this in the guideline but dividing it so first you divide it in half and half of that plate becomes fruit or vegetables so really colorful fruits and vegetables like i said in the beginning aiming for real high nutrient content there you divide the, the second half of the plate into halves again and then one part of that becomes lean protein, something like a fish or chicken breast or turkey breast. And then the other part becomes a whole grain carbohydrate, um, sweet potato, whole grain pasta, whatever you prefer. Um, so it's really broken down like that to make it very, very simple. Again, the majority of the plate is fruits and veggies, a uh, portion of lean protein, and a portion of whole grains. Okay, perfect. Okay, so keeping it even on the simple track here, what about when you calculate your calorie needs? So if someone went so far as to, you know, measuring their calorie intake, and now they just want to know how many calories should they take in, what's the easiest way for, for people to do that? A real, real simple assessment um, is to multiply, use a, um, a table, you can actually multiply your current body weight times 11. So body weight example, in pounds? I'm sorry? Body weight in pounds? Body weight in pounds, yes, good point. Um, so, for example, if you weigh 200 pounds, you multiply that by 11, that comes out to around 2,200 calories each day. Um, okay. So, obviously, that's, a, that's an estimation, um, and you may have to, you know, tinker up or down depending on your, how you're, um, you're progressing, but it's a very good, kind of a good starting point for most folks. Okay, but what about now if that was a 200-pound woman who is overweight, or even a 200-pound guy that's overweight, that's maybe 5'6", and doesn't have a lot of muscle mass, that's obviously going to overestimate things. So what's the recommendation there? And that, that's a good, very good point as well. Um, so typically, the, with most behavioral weight loss studies that are done, um, typically use 12 to 1,800 calories a day, 
which for those people that you described, it's a pretty drastic reduction. Uh, but when folks are morbidly obese, they need to get that weight off so they can even just function, move around. Um, right. So I know, you know, we both talk about maintaining as much muscle mass as possible, but a 200-pound woman, for example, is not going to, quote-unquote, turn that fat into muscle and all of a sudden be 200 pounds of solid muscle. Right. Um, so the scale should be moving down, and she does need that drastic reduction in calories. Okay. What do you think about this approach? Because sometimes I recommend this in my newsletter is um, is for people to simply find out how many calories they're eating. And if they're gaining fat, then obviously cut back. But if they're not losing body fat, then to also cut back. So instead of just going with the equation, they start by, you know, using FitDay or CalorieKing.com or whatever the uh, softwares are that are out there. But so using that as a reference point and then working back from there instead of using the calorie equation. Yeah, and, and that could work as well. Um, again, whatever is most simple for the folks that will work. Um, so, I mean, basically it does all boil, all boil down to calories in, calories out. So right. if you do, if you, you know, come up with that, whatever that number is for your average calories and you subtract back, as long as you're still taking in less calories than you're expending, um, you ultimately, you know, can lose some fat. Yeah, and then and, and making the switch to the higher quality foods. And, uh, Absolutely, course. exactly. Okay. Um, next question then. You mentioned a little bit already the 1,200 to 1,800. What are the low-end calorie recommendations for men and women? Is it different between the genders, and is there uh, – I mean, I know some studies were, that are under doctor's supervision obviously use 800 calories, but, you know, that's mind, mind-blowingly low. So right. what is it? Rec- you know, normal recommendations for men and women? Um, you know, traditionally, what we've always used in the literature, in, in research, and what's um, cited in things like the American College of Sports Medicine position stand is, um, you know, 1,200 calories for women or, or men under 200 pounds, um, 1,500 calories if they were under 250 or 2 to 250, and then 1,800 calories if they were uh, 250 and above. So notice the lowest end of that point was 1,200 calories. Okay. Um, you know, like you said, doctors under supervision can go much lower than that, but that's definitely not something someone would want to do on their own. Right, right. And then um, the main pitfalls of that are just not getting uh, the, the nutrients, right? The electrolytes, is that one of the main problems with those low, very low-calorie diets is not getting the right amount of potassium and sodium? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, the electrolytes are an issue, and really just all, all nutrients in general. So the you know, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids, um, so it's just a really low intake, like much lower than 1,200, makes it difficult to get the adequate vitamins and nutrients that you need. Right. Even if you're eating perfectly, you, pr- you wouldn't be able to get that level. Exactly. It'd be very, very difficult to do so. Okay. And now, just for people listening, um, something to understand is you can eat 1,200 calories in a single meal at McDonald's. So it's very important to know, obviously, the calorie uh, levels of food and what you're eating, especially even when you go out to eat. Um, moving on there, Chris, how does body fat uh, factor into the calorie recommendations? So, again, it's, uh, you know, I, we talked about this a little bit, but obviously someone with fat on their body and not muscle, um, they re- you know, these, these equations are going to be a little bit off for them. So how do they adjust what they should expect to eat and so that they don't, you know, use the general equation and start gaining more mass because they're overeating? Mm-hmm. And I think some, someone like that who's very, very overfat um, could actually just use, like, like you mentioned earlier, get an assessment of what your calorie intake is and then dial back a little bit. So let's just say it's 3,000 calories and you, and you happen to be 350 pounds of a lot of fat. Um, you know, cutting back 500 calories or so a day 
um, we'll slowly start to bring that fat down a little bit versus using that specific, you know, that I mentioned earlier, multiplying times 11 or something along those lines. And then you've probably found that, uh, you know, when people are eating that many calories, they're probably eating that many calories because there's a lot of low-quality food. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to eat a lot of high-quality food. I mean, to eat 3,500 calories of, you know, when two, when half of your plate is fruits and vegetables would be very difficult. So Absolutely. I guess it would just you know, most people are just going to find that they're going to start to lose weight if they start getting rid of some of those low-quality foods and getting high-quality foods in there. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's something we always mention to our folks. And when you're thinking about making changes, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of things here in this call and throughout the program, but think about baby steps along the way. So something as simple as adding, you know, fruit and or vegetable to your day um, yeah. is, a, is a huge change for a lot of people. So doing something like that in the long term, can make a great, great uh, impact. So definitely think about those baby steps. Because like you said, right. and I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sure some some uh, of your clients have a lot of problems with drinking calories. So what are some acceptable substitutes? Uh, you know, someone has a sweet tooth and, and uh, you know, for you and I, plain water is probably not a problem, but for some people to go from, Sodas to plain water would be quite drastic and difficult to stay with. So what what are some of the acceptable substitutes that you uh, can give us? Um, you know, anything, I'd much rather have someone drink a, a diet soda, for example, using that example, than a regular soda. Um, they yeah. make diet teas out there now. Um, so anything, you're, you shouldn't drink your calories, like you said. So anything that's a, the non-caloric beverage is something you'd want to encourage. And obviously, water water's ideal. But uh, like you said, a lot of people don't want to make that switch from soda to water. It's a pretty, pretty uh, big change. So you've, I think in the past you've said like stuff like Crystal Light, and, and is that stuff all right? Yeah, absolutely. Crystal Light, um, Lipton makes these to-go packs, which are just powdered tea. You know, do I want people to live off of those? No. Uh, but at the same time, I'd much rather have them make that sw- make the switch from high-calorie soda or like a juice cocktail type drink to one of those. And then maybe even weaning off of those or just having them a couple times a day. Um, one, one thing we always tell our participants is to make water more exciting without adding any artificial sweeteners or calories or anything, put some lemon in there or lime or orange, cucumbers. Just do something to flavor the water so you actually get a, a nice flavor but still just drinking pure water. Sure. Okay, great. And, and, again, it comes back to something you said before there with the baby steps, whether it's one fruit or vegetable today or it's one less soda tomorrow and – so on and so forth, right? Right, exactly. Exactly. And ultimately, you know, over over weeks, over months, you'll continue to make more and more changes and build upon the changes you've already made. Um, and then ultimately, you'll be, you know, have a great diet, you'll be in great shape, and everything will continue to progress. So so when you run, you run, what, 12-week weight loss programs? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And then what uh, what do you typically see? you know, the rate of change in these people in terms of their eating habits, not so much in terms of how much weight they lose, but, you know, do they make the rapid changes early on or do they start slow and build up speed? Or how, how does the average person kind of make their changes? Um, you know, a lot of times we do see people start with um, start with a lot of changes in the beginning mm-hmm. and then continue, you know, ultimately, actually, as the program goes on, we typically see – um, most folks usually lose their steam a little bit. Uh-huh. Now, with that said, that's kind of the opposite of what we said about making baby steps, but at the same time, that's working with us one-on-one on a weekly basis, so it's a little bit different than doing something on your own. 
Right. So, you know, we're there we're to motivate them weekly and encourage them to make as many changes as possible. Um, and usually folks are very highly motivated in the beginning and make a lot of those changes up front. Okay, so it's their choice. They just want to jump right into it. And... Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, all right, let's go back to uh, my list of questions here. What's an acceptable low-carb level for you, in your opinion? Uh, well, you know, I'll say just looking at uh, some of the, the guidelines and the research, they say not, they suggest not going below 130 grams of carbohydrates a day. Okay. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's hard to say what low-carb is because depending on how many calories you need or eat, yeah. that uh, you can't really give a percentage because of, uh, the percentages differ in the amount of calories you're eating. Um, so it's hard to give that, but uh, definitely not below 130 grams a day is at the absolute minimum. Right. And do you think it's possible to do – to do only fruits and vegetables as your carbohydrates with very minimal amounts of uh, even grain products in your in your carbohydrate sources? Like maybe with a, a post-workout drink and just fruits and vegetables, do you think that's possible? It is possible, um, absolutely, and there's there's lots of data. I know we talked about this recently um, about the, uh, the data that came out of Penn State and showing that those who ate increased their fruits and vegetables to nine-plus servings a day had more successful weight loss than those who ate even even a low-fat diet prescription but less fruits and vegetables. Right. Um, so I, I think it's doable. I think it's for maybe someone for like me and you, it may be realistic and some others out there. Um, I yeah. think for a lot of people, um, thinking about some of the participants in our weight loss group, it's I think it's somewhat unrealistic because they're eating so few anyhow. Right. I have to solely encourage them to eat only their carbs from that. Um, while it would be great because they're loading up on nutrients, I don't think it's as practical as uh, as, I, as it needs to be. Right. Just just to clarify things, how many servings of fruits and vegetables combined are people recommended to go for each day? Like in, in the whatever the you know dietetic guidelines are these days. Mm-hmm. In the uh, the 2005 dietary guidelines that came out went anywhere from five to 13 servings a day. Of um, combined fruits and vegetables. Of combined fruits and vegetables. If you look more specifically at the food pyramid, also in 2005, it's uh, two cups of fruits and two and a half cups of vegetables. So okay, so half a cup of either is a serving. Um, typically, with 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 vegetables, it's a little trickier. Um, okay. Something like a leafy vegetable, like a cup of raw spinach, is different. Is a serving versus a half a cup of cooked spinach. Okay. All right. And what are you generally seeing in the people that start your weight loss courses? What are they coming in as eating, like a serving, two servings a day? Uh, yeah, at best. Unfortunately, we've actually seen several people coming in with not one ounce of any piece of fruit or vegetable the entire week. The entire um, week? The entire week. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me because um, then, you know, I, I think about my diet and I'm eating probably about 15 to 20 servings a day. Sure. Um, so, you know, and that's that's again comes back to being practical because – thinking about what I, I think I, I eat a pretty good diet, but I'm not going to say to these people, all right, so let's start with, you know, ground one. Let's eat 15 servings a day. Sure. Um, sure. So, but, yeah, we we have some people eating zero servings the entire week, and our goal is to get them up as high as possible, but, again, being realistic and practical. So are those people just eating nothing but processed foods? and A lot of the time they are, absolutely. Fast so, food? I'm sorry? Fast food, processed food? Um, sort of? Fast food, absolutely. You know, a lot of these people – you know, we talked about rice cakes in the very beginning, and a lot of these people are using – they know that calories, they need to reduce their calories, but to them yeah. that means they should only eat those those 100-calorie snack packs uh, uh-huh. or things along those lines. So, yeah, a lot of processed foods, definitely fast food is a big one. 
um, which is, you know, unfortunate for in all senses. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's let's stick on the uh, questions about the fruits and vegetables here. So, some examples of the servings of fruits and vegetables. And obviously, you gave us our spinach example, mm-hmm. but this is often a, a common question on the message board because people aren't sure what a what a serving is. I mean, a lot of people are intimidated by that five to thirteen servings, but I think it's not as intimidating as it should be. Like an apple sometimes can be more than a serving, can it? Yeah, absolutely. So, depending on the, the size of the fruit. Um, banana is a great example. It's almost always two servings. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, so bananas, because they're usually, I mean, they, you could buy the pretty small ones in the store, but usually they're much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, an apple, like you said, so, you know, a good, a good general, very simple assessment is um, about if you make a fist, it's about the yeah. size of your fist is one, one medium okay. piece of fruit. Um, okay. So, you know, obviously if you happen to be you know, seven foot five, it's going to be a little different, but sure. on average for most people. And a grapefruit would be like one and a half. Sort a of grapefruit thing. would probably be about yeah, about one and a half, or maybe even two. Um, okay. You know, a good good well, website is the uh, the My Food Pyramid website, mypyramid.gov, and they okay. actually have what classifies a serving on there. Okay, mypyramid.gov. .gov, yeah. Okay, and um, vegetables. What about a couple of vegetable uh, examples uh, while we're at it here? Yep. General general rule of thumb: if it's a leafy vegetable, so any of the greens, like I said, spinach, but kale, Swiss chard. Um, just plain old lettuce. It's one cup for uncooked and then a half a cup for cooked. Um, you know, same. That's kind of a general rule of thumb for all vegetables, essentially. Okay. Um, so kind of an easy way to to calculate that. And what about that? Uh, you know, I see a lot of emails going around these days that you have to eat like 50 servings of fruits and vegetables today to equal one serving of 1940s fruits and vegetables. What is, what is the truth behind all that? Yeah, you know, I, mean, I think that's a lot of hype. Um, and I think I, I, might, I might have answered a question like this on your message board in the past. I think so, yeah. Um, so th- there are some data to show that, you know, in general, over, over the years, the, the soil has become more depleted than it was, like you said, in the 1940s. Um, but in the same sense, do we – it's not, you know, you can't throw out that number of 50 or 75 servings to equal one serving. Yeah. Um, if that makes people eat more, I'm all for it. But uh, it's not it's not as straightforward. Our soil is, the plants are still growing, and if, if they're growing, there's some nutrients in there for sure. Yeah, and I mean, we don't all have scurvy and our teeth aren't falling out, so I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to believe how bad it is. So Right. Um, all right, what are some of your favorite lesser-known fruits and vegetables that uh, – I know you've given a nice chart in the uh, nutrition guidelines, but it's always great to give people new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. So um, listen, some lesser-known ones, um, things like, like cherries are probably not lesser-known, but um, so cherries would be a great one. Any of the berries are fantastic. Um, pumpkin is a good one. Canned pumpkin is a, is a good good example of making it more convenient. Um, basically, think about any, any nutrients that are very dark in color. So the darker the color, the better off you're going to be um, with any with anything you eat. So I'm trying to think what else in terms of Swiss chard and kale are probably not so common um, in terms of the nutrients, the foods, um, or the, the vegetables that most people eat. So anything along those lines. Again, don't most people think of fruits and vegetables. It's apple and banana, which are great, but there's so many more out there. And like I said, the, the more colors you can eat, the much better off you're going to be. Okay, great. And then what about um, what about a sweet potato and a yam? Are those things actually fruits and veg- uh, vegetables? Like where, do we, where are we going to classify those things? Yeah, th- those are vegetables. Um, 
there's technicalities that they're, they're not actually the same exact thing, but for easy terms, they are. We can count them as the same. Okay. And then what about an avocado? That also, you know, would be a, a vegetable, even though it's or a fruit. That is, uh, that's actually a fruit, uh, I believe. And I think I heard this once that typically, if something has, um, like the simple way, like a seed, such as an avocado has a giant, a giant seed in the middle, or um, things like that, it's it's a fruit. Okay. So there are, you know, it seems like there are a few exceptions to that rule, but that's kind of a general general rule I've heard in the past. Okay, great. And and avocados are actually one that I've just started taking up this year, and um, even uh, even consistently eating spinach. So I mean, there's always room for everyone to improve, and I mean, obviously I'm improving each uh, each and every every week. I try and get something new into the diet. So. I think that the message is that for everyone out there, if there's such a variety, it's not just broccoli or nothing. I mean, even though I I probably, if there's a world record for eating broccoli, I'd probably hold it. <laughs> but, but, I mean, most people, you know, they think broccoli and they think vegetables and that's it. So there's there's a lot out there. I mean, you just maybe have to try some farmer's markets or, you know, just wander around the vegetable aisle a little bit more. But you'll find something you like. You know, it comes back to that baby steps that Chris talked about before in that, you know, if you take a baby step and try something new each day, then you're going to find something. Yeah, and, you know, okay. I'm sorry, I just, uh, my, we, we just filmed a, a grocery shopping, like how to grocery shop DVD, and yeah. one, one thing that we learned, we were in the front. The store that we happened to be in was just a general supermarket. So they had a sign that said we have, that there's 670 varieties of produce in the store today. Um, wow. So, yeah, just going to show you it's, it's a lot more than a banana and an apple and a piece of broccoli. So definitely get creative. Um, so you could essentially you could try a new fruit or vegetable every single day, and you're good for almost two years. That's amazing. It is, isn't it? So, you know, wow. you, you don't think about that much out there, but uh, it, there definitely is. Well, I think it comes back to the nutrition as or the sorry, the education aspect of it in that – the more that all of us know about this stuff, the easier the lifestyle becomes. And um, you know, also if you're if you're a good cook or if you're interested in cooking, it becomes even better because you're able to you know you you have that mindset of trying new things. So obviously, the bottom line is educate yourself as much as possible, which we're trying to do with the uh, obviously with the guidelines here in the, in the message board. Right. So next, I want to talk about something that. Um, Lots of experts like to weigh in on. They talk about when you should eat your carbohydrates, whether you should eat them in the morning or whether you should eat them after workouts. Um, is it is it all just a, a moot point, and should we just focus on splitting them evenly all day long? Uh, well, you know, I, th I think depending on the type of clientele you're working with, or, or um, you're, you're working with, or you type of client you are, it depends on your, your what you need to do. So, for example. Um, I'll use, the, again, the example of the participants in our group. For them, I'm not going to get into the details of eating more carbs in the morning and then slowly weaning off throughout the day. Sure. Uh, I, I, that might be a little – I think that's a little too complicated for them. Yeah. So, um, there are some data – with that said, there are some data to show that maybe you better you may better utilize those carbohydrates in the morning um, yep. as energy because, obviously, you're, when you wake up, you're going to use the most energy during the day versus when you're sleeping. Um but again, I think it, it depends on the type of client that you uh, that you are that you're working with. The one you get, how, you know, depending how specific you want to get. Okay. Yeah, and that's generally what the question is all about. Um, is generally from people that are more advanced, looking for some stubborn fat solutions. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm going to get off our list of questions here for a second, Chris, and ask you um, the next one here is why is it so hard for us to control what we eat at nighttime when we can go all day long practically? You know, some people can practically starve themselves all day long, but as soon as the day comes to an end and they only have, you know, say it's 8 o'clock and they're going to bed at 10, they can't control themselves for those two hours. What is the, um, you know, behavioral aspect of that, or is it hormonal, or is it, you know, why are these cravings so popular and how can we help people with that? Uh, you know, I, I think it's a little bit of both, so both the behavior aspect and the hormonal issue. Um, so number one, traditionally most people are working just, you know, kind of think of an 8-to-5 type job or 9-to-5 type job, so there's less access to those foods. Um, okay. So it's obviously when, when you're home, you have full access to your entire house, and if something's in there, you're likely to eat it because you know it's there. Um, so I think that that's one thing is just the very simple, you know, changing the environment. So don't don't include those, don't have those um, foods in your house, and you're not going to be able to sit back down with a bag of Doritos if you don't own them. Right. Um, so I, mean, I, I do think there are some hormonal issues potentially, and I don't know. To be honest, I don't think folks, scientists, know enough about that. Um, I think, I mean, there's definitely some data to show uh, uh, our hormones do change throughout the day, obviously, but uh, they're still learning a ton about things like um, like ghrelin and leptin and other hormones along those lines in terms of how those affect our appetite. So I think I think. In the general sense, it's a lot of behavior more than anything, um, although hormones, you know, can potentially play a role in terms of your uh, your eating later. So, so, so you've read the Mindless Eating book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one so of, there's some lessons. So there's some lessons there, obviously. Is there anything that comes to you off the top of your head that can help people with uh, avoiding the mindless eating? Um, you know, one thing is don't eat in front of the TV. Have what we call in our program, it's called the, the DEP, the Designated, De- designated Eating Place. Um, okay. when, you are, when you're distracted, so whether it's in front of the TV or the computer, you're going to eat more calories. Um, so, you know, pour, first of all, portion out your meal and put the rest of the food away and then sit down at whether it's the dining room or kitchen and take all distractions away so you actually focus on the food itself. Um, and it makes sense. If you sit down and watch TV, and there are data to show that we use less brain waves watching TV than we do um, sleeping, which yeah. is pretty scary. Um, right. But you can actually think then, of course, if you're, you're trying to stimulate your mind in one way or another. So if you sit down with you know, a bag of chips or whatever next to you, it's, it's not likely that you're going to say, all right, well, 10 Doritos is one serving, so I'll stop at 10. It's usually right. you know, the end of the show, and you're thinking, oh, you know, crap, the entire bag is empty now. Totally. Okay, and then what about going back to your um, your 12-week weight loss program because it's such a good uh, um, s- sorry example for us to take a look at, is how how strong of habits are people able to build over those 12 weeks? Like, are you able to keep in contact with any of these people and how, you know, if they if they do pretty well for those 12 weeks, what are the chances of them staying pretty well on 52 weeks? Like, you know, how quickly can we build up good nutrition habits? Because, you know, from my personal experience in just becoming a better eater is that this is not a 12-week process. This is literally like, you know, three years you're going to be doing 90% perfection on your eating plan, but you're not going to go from 50% to 90% overnight here. Like, are, are people able to build up habits in 21 days? Like some people say that, you know, you need to do something every day for 21 days to build a habit. Mm-hmm. What kind of, you know, have you, what have you seen and what kind of changes have you seen? The, uh, you know, I'll go to that 21-day thing. It's actually, there's no, there's no research to support that. I don't, I don't really know where that actually came from. 
Um, right. There's no research to support or refute it, really. But um, I think I, I don't know if I know Tony Robbins. I think popularized that, and it's if, if someone can do and have something for 21 days, fantastic. But that doesn't mean that you're going to uh, do it forever. So with right. our 12-week program, um, we, we do see we do see great results, and uh, most folks, when we do follow up with them. Um, have continued their their changes that we've talked about, and hopefully, and are not a lot. Hopefully, but a lot of times, um, actually adding new positive habits along the way. Um, if you look at the research, traditionally um, six months is when they see most people making you know losing weight and making most of the positive changes, and then after that six months is typically when people start to either plateau on their weight loss or start to gain it back. Um, so. Again, that's one thing. I mean, we do, we do a 12-week program here, but there's definite data to show the more consistent you are with people, um, the more adherent they'll be to the program. So that's why, you know, your, your TERP uh, TT member site is great because then people have constant communication with experts um, in terms of helping them continue to achieve their goals. Okay. And then one last question on this is um, what's the biggest factor for the change in these people? Is it adding the fruits and vegetables? You know, it, it's hard to say because they're doing so many poor. They're doing so many things poorly. They're not exercising. They're not eating fruits and vegetables. They're eating a lot of processed foods. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a combination. So it's hard to say just one thing. Um, you know, if they eat fast food three times a day and they cut it down to twice, that's a huge change for them. Sure. Okay. So it's it's hard to put pinpoint it. Um, I think it is a combination. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, we're going to move along a little quickly through the rest of the questions. Let's talk about fiber. Um, how many grams per day is recommended, and you know, how, is it possible that you can give a, a list of foods that would add up to that? That um, you know shows people it's not that hard to get the fiber amount. Yeah, absolutely. Um, recommended is 14 grams for every 1,000 calories, or is anywhere from about 20 to 35 grams a day. On average, Americans are eating about 10 grams a day. So I would assume in Canada, you guys are probably on, on par with us, unfortunately. 10 grams. But, uh, what, yeah, it's, it's amazing because, that, you know, that's, that's like a half a cup of beans is that. Um, so people aren't even getting that. So, you know, some, something as simple as, you know, start your day with a cup of oatmeal or half a cup of oatmeal um, and a piece of fruit right there is about anywhere from, you know, not a little over five grams, so maybe about eight grams or so of fiber. Have a, a salad at lunch with some, some beans, loads of vegetables. You're getting anywhere from probably about 15 grams of fiber there. And then for dinner, so we're just doing, if we just do three meals um, and you divide the plate like we talked about earlier with fruits and vegetables, um, you're going to get, and, and the whole grain, you're going to get another 10 or so grams right there. And then since we, you know, we, I know we both recommend eating smaller meals, it's easier to get above and beyond that, the recommendation. Okay, great. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about the opposite of fiber then. We'll talk about the sugar. And um, do you think that this is, you know, one of the main problems of obesity and, you know, how much sugar are most people eating? How much sugar should they eat? And then what are some ways to substitute out sugar foods and put in something that uh, will appease their sweet tooth? Mm -hmm. um, so I they definitely think it's a problem in combination with foods that are higher in sugar are also lower in fiber. So there's um, – Looking at some of the science, we've actually increased our, our refined carbohydrate intake by about 2,100% per day over the last 100 years, um, which is pretty sad. So definitely more sugar in our, in our diet. There, there are data to show just how many grams on average we're eating. And I, to be honest, off the top of my head, I can't recall those. Um, but ideally, the, I always say think fiber, not carbs. So carbohydrates are absolutely fantastic for you. 
when they're high fiber carbs. Um, so there's no, I, the, the dietary guidelines say um, no more than 50% of your, or excuse me, more over 50% of your carbs should come from whole grain sources, and then the rest, you know, can, can, from, can come from lower fiber sources. I think it should okay. be higher than that. So um, added sugar, I, mean, I think it's obviously in fruits, vegetables a little bit, um, and some dairy products. Other than that, I mean, I don't think, I definitely would rather not have you be adding sugar to your cereals or having real high sugar cereals and things along those lines. Um, what are some, uh, quickly, some just some alternative carbohydrate sources that not many people eat? Two or three. Okay. I would say number one, I would say, is um, quinoa or quinoa. I've heard it said both ways. Um, yeah. Definitely a great whole grain, and it's a decent source of protein as well. Um, beans, any type of beans, black beans, kidney beans, whatever type, uh, also a great source of fiber and also a decent source of protein. Um, and how about something like oat bran? So, you know, everyone goes for oatmeal in the morning um, or tr- throughout the day, but oat bran is another very, very high-fiber, great grain that's that's uh, fantastic for you. Okay. And then with the beans, like say if I bought a can of re- uh, kidney beans, mm-hmm. um, is are those any less healthy than, you know, making my own kidney beans, you know, no. from a dry kidney bean? Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, they will add some sodium to canned products. But in terms of the health benefits, they're 100% the same. So rinse them off, and uh, okay. definitely a lot more convenient for you. Perfect. Okay. Um, let's move on to protein now. Is there really such thing as a best source of protein? Um, I mean, I think there are definitely better sources than others. You want to make sure your proteins are what are known as complete proteins, meaning they have all the essential amino acids. Um, I think eggs is one of the one of the best in terms of it gives you that complete source of protein. It's also extremely inexpensive. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's lots out when, there, but when, I'll, I'll throw eggs in that mix. When you recommend, uh, say you recommend an omelet in the morning, do you recommend the yolks as well or just the egg whites or one yolk? Um, absolutely. I, I think both. There there are some, you know, an earlier quote-unquote scares to say that people should not eat egg yolks because of cholesterol in them, but they definitely they are safe. If you have happen to have high cholesterol, um, you're not going to live off of egg yolks, but it seems that the dietary cholesterol that you get from the foods you eat doesn't affect cholesterol as much as things like saturated fat and trans fats. Okay. So I definitely recommend usually a combination of the two. Yeah, um, and the eggs I'm, I have these days that are the omega-3 enriched eggs only have one gram of saturated fat in them, I think. Right. For... So, they're, 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 yeah, their eggs are not – they're actually a fantastic food. Um, and then the yolk have so many more nutrients than the whites as well. Whites just have protein. Yolks have – uh, vitamin E and D, and if you get those omega ones, they have some omega threes, choline, a whole bunch of vitamins and minerals and nutrients in there. Okay. Uh, what about protein intake for overweight individuals? Like we were talking before about overestimating calorie intake. Now it's, you know, we can't recommend to a 300 pound guy to eat one gram of protein per pound of body weight. You know, right. Weight. So, how, what uh, changes do we make here? Uh, well, you know, because. Over fat individuals typically have less less lean body mass. You know the, the dietary recommendations are 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, so, you know, they definitely should have less. They, like you said, they're not going to have um, one gram of pound per one gram per pound of body weight. So, mm-hmm. I would say I would put women women at an absolute maximum of 150 grams of protein per day, and okay. men at a maximum of 200 grams per day. Um, so you need you need to, you need to be careful. You don't want to overdo it, of course. 
Right. Now, people, when they think high protein, they think meat, meat, meat. Um, right. You obviously went over eggs and, and even the canola there as uh, what I term sneaky high protein foods. Is there anything else that people can eat to get their protein without, you know, especially vegetarians that don't want to eat a lot of meat or that don't want to eat meat at all? I mean, right. Um, or even people just don't want to eat meat seven times a day. Yeah, and that's definitely, um, you know, look, fish is one of the best sources of nutrients around because um, it has a lot more than just protein. But look to fish, um, things like salmon, tuna are great, chicken breast, turkey breast, um, pork is another great lean source of protein. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned the vegetarian, so things like beans, nuts um, are all, you know, decent sources of protein as long as you're combining them with others like, like beans and rice, for example, um, you're going to get sufficient amounts of protein, even if you're a vegetarian. Okay. And then what about canned tuna? Is there any concerns about canned tuna? Is that something we should uh, – Yeah, I mean, I, I've never eaten canned tuna. I actually hate the stuff. So, okay. Uh, okay. I'm, you have I'm, no concern. Uh, the, uh, the, the main concern with that is with the mercury content. So there has been um, some data to show that solid white – or excuse me, chunk white tuna or chunk light is, has less mercury than solid white tuna. So if you're going to eat tuna, um, go to that the chunk light because it is lower in mercury. It's not something I would live off of. If you happen to be like a young, um, a young male in particular, so you're obviously not childbearing, then it won't be as much of a concern. At the same time, you don't want to live off this stuff because because the mercury is definitely a, you know can be a scare if you're having it every single day, maybe several times a day, like some people I know. Well, it's mostly young young males that do that sort of stuff. So right, yeah, it is. Um, okay. So you know, what always about- always take caution. Yeah. Okay. What about um, you know some of the common protein sources are deli meats and cottage cheese. Now they're also high in sodium. Do they contain too much sodium? I don't think so. I don't think most people have to worry about that. Um, especially if you are younger, a younger athlete, for example, you are going to be sweating from the exercise you're doing. Um, so I wouldn't be overly concerned with the sodium unless you specifically have like a hypertension issue, for example. Okay. All right. So let's move on from protein to fat. And, uh, Chris, you're my main source of healthy fat information. So what are your recommendations of healthy fat intake each day? The um, Well, first of all, when you say healthy fat, just to kind of clarify, it's essentially there are, there are essential fatty acids that we need to get through our diet. Um, the, the recommendation for um, the main components of fatty acids, which are known as EPA and DHA, is a minimum of 600 milligrams a day. So you can get that from very easily from a couple ounces of salmon or other fish. Um, by taking fish oil, you can get that as well. So that, that's the minimum recommendation. Um, there's some data to show that slightly higher intake could help potentially prevent disease. Um, but that's that's kind of what I would uh, what I would aim for with those specific fatty acids. In general, I wouldn't go under looking at total fat per day. I wouldn't go under um, around usually 30% of calories coming from fat a day. So usually 30 to 35%. Okay. All right. And then uh, let's talk about some sneaky sources of trans fats. Now, aren't there even ways that uh, they can say the product is trans fat free, even if it does contain trans fats? Yeah, absolutely. And that is um, good. It's a good point. So in 2006, it was mandatory that foods had to put trans fats on their labels. But like you said, even though it could say zero on there, it could still have trans fats in there. So it's important to look at the food label um, but then also read the ingredient list. And keep in mind that when even, even if it says zero on there, um, if it has less than 0.5 grams of trans fat per serving, 
they can say it has zero tr grams of trans fat. But uh, remember that a lot of the foods that have trans fat in them anyhow, you're probably likely to eat more than one serving, meaning you are getting some. Okay. All right. Um, do we need fish and flax oil? In my opinion, I think fish oil is much more important than flax oil. Um, I, do, I do think flax, flax is a decent source of fat for, for sure, but um, with fish oil, you're getting a much healthier source of, again, the, the, I mentioned the EPA and DHA. That's exactly what you're getting when you take fish oil, whereas when you eat flax, um, your body's only converting them to a, about, has a 10% conversion rate, so you're not, getting, um, you're not getting them directly like you are by eating fish itself. Okay. All right. Um, and does salmon jerky really taste good? <laughs> um, I know we've talked about this, and I, I, absolutely it does. So there's a lot of people would never even think of, number one, something that there is called salmon jerky. But uh, basically it's like beef jerky. It has a slightly, like it does taste a little salmon-y, but they have different flavors like teriyaki, and uh, there's, a, I think, a spicy one. So it actually does taste really good, and it's another great way to get fatty acids. It's convenient and um, portable, which is also a win-win situation. Okay, and where do you, where do we get that stuff? Um, you can actually get that. The, the one, the website is uh, wildrivergrilling.com, and okay. it's, uh, it's right on there. All right. So let's skip down to uh, the next question: Is how do we adjust our meal plans for non-training days and compared to workout days? You know, I, I would. You do need to. You're going to obviously be expending less calories, um, so. That's something that I think you can maybe you know, cut back your calories a little bit. Obviously, you're not going to be eating the post, post-workout meal like we've talked about. Um, so something as simple as maybe even the pre- and post-workout are cut out. So that's, that's dialing back your calories probably about three or 400 a day. So that alone is probably a big enough of a, um, a difference. You don't have to go much, much beyond that. Okay. All right. If a guy or girl is uh, eating the number of calories that we suggest in, the, in the, you know, the nutrition guidelines but isn't dropping body fat, what is the next step for this person to take? Um, well, you know, make sure that, number one, that they are, um, in fact, following the guidelines and eating those calories. So, you know, go back and weigh and measure some foods. Make sure your portions are in control. Um, and then, number two, if that's the case, and that is because obviously that, that can be, I mean, because um, obviously it's an estimation, then – you can cut back a little bit, so cut back a few hundred calories. Make, you know, try having a smaller portion of whatever food. Um, but don't don't do a drastic reduction in food because then you're going to be muscle will come off much more quickly. But uh, small reduction in food, see if that helps, and then just continue to kind of dial in to get the exact uh, exactly what you need. Okay, and then just going off topic here quickly. If a guy's at 2,200 calories and wants to gain muscle but isn't gaining muscle, what's his next step there? You know, I would, I would do the same thing but the opposite. So just add a little bit. Um, you know, add. it doesn't take a lot to add some calories. So a handful of mixed nuts and a yogurt, for example, that's about 400 calories right there. So simple changes like that, just adding calories throughout the day will help. Um, but, again, don't go overdo it. You know, if you eat 2,200 calories, you're not gaining, so don't go up to 5,000 the next day because um, sure. you want to gain muscle on that fat. Is there is there like a calorie level that you find most guys do pretty well with on when gaining muscle, or is it kind of all over the place? Yeah, you know, it is all over the place because you know if someone is five six versus someone who's six four, um, and then obviously their training plays a huge role in that. Um, so it's it's hard to say. Give a just blanket recommendation for something along those lines. All right, I hype up uh, the green tea a lot. Now, is it actually any better than regular tea for health benefits, or can people just you know drink? 
tea of any kind and, and do just as well. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all teas are actually beneficial. So, when I, well, when I say all teas, black, green, and white tea, um, they yep. all come from the actual tea plant. So herbal teas do not. But uh, green tea has some additional benefits in terms of something called um, ECGC, which is has been specifically linked to some of the additional fat loss properties of green tea. With that right. said, there's, uh, there's definitely some data to show that just drinking tea in general, black or whatever type of tea, can help with weight loss as well. So oh, okay. I, think, I, think, I think all types of tea are beneficial. Right. And then what would, that, what would be going on there that would make you know, something as simple as tea help somebody control their body weight? Um, could be a number of things. Um, one, it has some caffeine in it, and caffeine has been shown to be increased metabolic rate. Um, two, it could help, depending if you may be starting a meal with something like that, it could help you eat less throughout the day or help, you know, kind of curb your appetite a bit. Um, and there, there's some other specific mechanisms with green tea in particular um, in terms of how it's, how it's enhancing fat loss properties and lipolysis throughout the body. Um, going back to our metabolism, is it possible that we can really actually slow our metabolism down by eating too little? You know, people throw that around all the time, and I think, I mean, your metabolism does slow a bit if you're eating, if you are eating a low amount of calories, but right. um, I often get get uh, flack for this when I, when I present this type of data, but keep in mind that when people are losing weight, so let's just say, again, you have a 300-pound person, they're going down to 250 their metabolism will decrease because they have less body mass in general. Sure. Um, so even if, you know, obviously we want to prevent that as much as possible by trying to gain some muscle or at least maintain muscle, but it's not, we, we expect it to go down, so it's not like you can maintain it as high as it was because you have a less of a person to move around. Okay. Do you have any actual numbers for that, or is it just in general? Um, like would, would somebody have a metabolic rate of 2,500 when they're at 300 pounds and then drop to 22 or something? No, because, you know, that, that thought, that's across the board as well, so that varies so much. It's hard to give it. You can't give it an exact, you know, recommendation or blanket, thing, blanket statement on that. Okay, so when somebody is, like, in a long-term fat loss mode, like maybe they've been going strong for three months, do you ever rec- recommend eating a little bit more, you know, to, to – uh, Kind of, you know, some people say it spurs fat loss. Some people say it helps boost your metabolism. Right. Some people do it every week. You know, is is this something that you ever recommend? Yeah, absolutely. People do, you know, do kind of get in the cheat day type thing. Um, I, I think with certain people that could be that's doable. Um, again, with me, if I go off, you know, if I decide to have a quote unquote cheat meal, I know that that's fine. I'll get back on track the next day without a problem or, or the next meal. Um, but with what we found with our um, overweight or obese clients that they have to be pretty tight to the recommendations, and unfortunately, um, when they actually go off the bandwagon, they don't seem to get back on too easily. So it's it's more of a difficult path for them. Uh, I'm not saying people have to eat 100% of the time absolutely perfect, but I would never recommend, you know, one of our obese clients say, okay, Saturday you're off, just eat absolutely whatever you want. It doesn't seem to. There's no data to support that. Okay. And then what about, like, even after three months of steady, consistent dieting with maybe the odd cheat meal, like, do you ever recommend them increasing their calories a little bit for an extended period of time? Uh, like, not, I mean, break if, from their diet? You know, what we do is if when someone reaches their goal, um, we actually, we, when we tell them they can increase a little bit, but the reason they got to where they were in the, the previous, I guess the previous weight was because they increased too much. So it's a very, very tricky, um, tricky system. You can't really... You know, you have to, just a little bit you can increase, but you don't want to go back to where you were because that's why you were where you were. Okay. 
All right, just two last questions here. Um, do you think that fish oil supplements can actually help boost fat loss and fat burning? You know, there, there are a few pieces of data to potentially show that. The, the more data, the data that I've seen that's more impressive, the following papers, is more that people who are overweight tend traditionally or very often have a um, decreased, decreased um, essential fatty acids in their body. That doesn't necessarily mean that if you supplement them with that, that will help fat loss. Um, okay. Now, there are a couple, I remember something presented at American College of Sports Medicine about, about five years ago now, showed that specifically supplementing people with fish, uh, fish oil boosted fat loss. But to my knowledge, there's not a ton of data out there to really, to really support or, or refute that at this point. Okay. And then the last thing I want to talk about is not nutrition at all, but mindset. And what is the you know, most common mindset for success that you see people have? Like you obviously must see a lot of people that come through your, you know, 12-week programs. And is there one particular mindset that seems to succeed more often? Um, you know, I think probably one of the most important things is trying to get people to change their negative thoughts to more positive ones. Um, most people who are trying to lose weight have tried many, many, many times in the past. And... Um, and then they, they very often think, you know, I, I can't do this. I'm a weight loss failure. Right. So they have that self-image of weight loss failure that they have to change before they can succeed. Absolutely. So it's a huge – getting that negative thought to be more positive makes an absolute drastic difference. You know, they can do it. And I think it was Zig Ziglar who said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're usually right. Um, and so, so how, does, how do you do that? Well, we, we just – Easier said than done, I'm sure. It is easier said than done, Absolutely. Um, so one thing we try to do is get them to um, not, you know, not use the words I hope, I think, I should, I could. It's more talking in definitive terms. Um, so we call it stinking thinking and trying to get rid of that stinking thinking. So, you know, if you do happen to have, you know, like a little a cheat meal, for example, or you really think, oh, I fell off the bandwagon, well, that's fine. Get back on and just, and just get back to where you were. You're not, you haven't totally defeated the process. Um, so it is easier said than done. But uh, trying to get totally get rid of that stinking thinking, so you're thinking positive thoughts. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. This was incredibly helpful. Uh, great anecdotes from your 12-week weight loss classes. I think that really helped and will help people picture what needs to be done to succeed. So thank you very much, Chris. Uh, you can learn more from Chris uh, on his website, moreresults.com. That is M-O-H-R results.com, and also uh, his meal planning software at mealplans101.com, and also read his interview with me at ttmembers.com. So thank you very much, Chris. Excellent. Thank you, Craig. It's been great. Okay. Have a good day. You too.